This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, on today's episode of the podcast, I sat down and visited with Charlie Klossa. Charlie is a a pretty impressive hunter. Uh, So that's what I brought him on here for is to talk about his experience hunting, where that came from, mainly deer hunting, but he grew up trapping and hunting a lot of different things, but uh, interested in his world of, of pretty extreme big woods whitetail hunting. Uh, so it kind of just picked his brain about tactics, tips, how he got into it, what he looks for, uh, why he goes, got down that path, stuff like that. So really, really enjoyed this one. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Charlie, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm pumped. Uh, I seen you had, we got connected through a, uh, a Facebook group, right? Right. Uh, and you had posted some pictures of some different hunting and tracking uh, bucks that you had gotten on some different public land areas. Uh, and I reached out, I thought, man, how fun would it be to have you on to just pick your brain about what, why this style of hunting? Because it's, it's unusual. Like you had said, you had said that uh, traditionally people think of like a backpack hunting thing in like a Western context with mule deer or elk, but that you do it with whitetail. Uh, so I'm super excited to get into that. But before we do, can you get me to the beginnings? Where did the the world of hunting, you hinted at it before we got on the world of hunting and, and just the outdoor start for you? Uh, my dad got me a Pelican very early in life. Um, really as far back as I can remember, hunting has been life for me. Uh, and I think uh, in my formative years, it was just me trying to grow up to be like my dad. Okay. Um, and as time went on, I began to trap. Uh, trapping turned into, you know, fishing and, and basically hunting everything I could hunt underneath the sun within, you know, my general area. Mm-hmm. But that's where it really started was was right away basically as far back as i can remember yeah, is, yeah. you you grew up in central wisconsin i grew up in central wisconsin okay. a little town called berlin okay. uh, i was blessed to be uh raised next to a, a pretty heavily wooded area had a lot of room to roam uh so basically instead of video games and tv i would just be outside exploring yeah. And your dad, you said your formative years, you wanted to be like your dad. Was your dad a big hunter and my, trapper? And Yes. Okay. Yeah. My dad was a big hunter. Um, my whole family hunts. Uh, so yeah, it, I was always surrounded with people that did that. Yeah. Uh, my brother, uncles, you know, everybody in my family does it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're talking the childhood part where you're out there, you're trapping, you're fishing, you're running around the woods. Was that like evenings and weekends or were you homeschooled or what did that look like? Uh, basically I'd get off the bus from school okay. and I would set my backpack down. I'd put camouflage on and I'd, I'd go. Yeah. And it was pretty much, uh, pretty much year round. Hmm. Uh, even outside of the hunting seasons, I'd be out just trying to learn, um, read a lot of books at school. Uh, became an obsession pretty early on. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the books that I read at school growing up had to do with people living off the grid or people, you know, in survival type of situations and, uh, you know, books like My Side of the Mountain and Hatchet. Mm-hmm. And I just became really uh, interested in how some people had to hunt or trap to survive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's always been a part of my life. Trapping, I feel like really helps a hunter or an outdoorsman really key into the small details. Mm -hmm. So that was a good tool for me early on too, is learning how to trap. Yeah. What kind of trapping were you doing? 
fox raccoon okay. um you know all the easy stuff uh it was all upland so it was no water trapping okay um but i spent my entire winter doing it yeah i had a, i basically had a sled i'd pull in the snow and i'd just go mm-hmm. so yeah and then so wisconsin you can start bow hunting at 10 years old 12 years old is there an age limit on it or, or when did you get into it in those days it was 12 now there's no longer uh an age limit is as a matter of fact my kids i start them off when they're six now yeah um in those days it was 12 years old so i was pretty much relegated to small game hunting and that kind of thing growing up until i hit the age of 12 mm-hmm. i was plenty ready for it by 12 um i remember the night before i turned 12 it was uh it was like Christmas morning times 10 for me. I yeah. just could not wait <laughs> to, to finally be able to go and hunt. And uh, it, my birthday falls during the deer season. So the day I turned 12, I was out in the woods. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm trying to picture the setting that you had grown up in or what you had, like, was your family on a farm or something like that? Or what was it? Uh, uh, we were in the country. Okay. Um, I went, it was not a farm, but we were out in the country yeah. and, uh, just had a lot of room to roam around. Yeah. You know, it was, the neighbors didn't care if I went on their property. Um, I just had a lot of room. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and again, I, I'm curious about the trajectory. Like, how did you get from where you're at to then to where you're at today, uh, and what has changed along the way? But also, a part of me what helps paint that for me is like, where are you at today? Like, if you had to remove everything else, you could only do one thing, one activity, maybe even in this specific context, what would it be? Is it like backpack? big woods whitetail or it would be if it was personal hunting it would definitely be bull hunting miles in um i like to do it the hard way i get more of a sense of satisfaction just testing myself testing the limits and the boundaries of you know how much i can take and and really the more i've done the more i've hunted that way the better i've really become not only as a hunter but putting big deer on the wall yeah um really have been pretty successful the last few years yeah um so that's it and again you said for yourself personally obviously you can't separate that from hunting with your kids whatever else but yeah for your own personal style of hunting that's what you would if if i could choose one thing it'd definitely be to take a kid hunting yeah that that is an amazing experience yeah and yeah, I've got three little ones, four and a half, two and a half, and one year or so. And that's something I'm ex- super excited about. Oh, yeah. Uh, it start getting them start, start it right now. Yeah. Um, it, as soon as they can walk, get them in the woods. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we do. I mean, and we'll go for drives, look for deer, and they're like, hey, you should go look for bucks, and you go for drives. I mean, it's, yeah. Anyways, they, they get they get pumped about it. Or we go around our living room, and the kids, you know, pretend hunt the bucks on the wall that I've got sure. right now or whatever. But Their level of excitement is really what makes it special. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so right now that's where you're at. Like, that's number one for your own personal hunts. For sure. And has whitetail been number one the whole way? Whitetail's always been number one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I grew up actually hunting uh, about 900 acres of private land. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. Um, at first, it was great, and it's always been great. It's always been fun. But what I started to notice is that every deer I shot got discounted by people. Mm-hmm. It's a nice piece of land, so they're like, oh, you're hunting on a game farm. And I was kind of bothered me because I did hunt hard, and it, it took a lot to, to do well. Yeah. Um, over time, I, I decided that I was going to start dabbling in public land hunting, and now that is 100% of everything I do is on public land. Yeah. The challenge is, is much higher. I get more satisfaction of it, and it's 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 a way for me to kind of prove the people wrong that initially doubted it, you mm-hmm. know, doubted the deer I shot or right. discounted the deer. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Are you pretty competitive? I am. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Because <laughs> I can yeah. see that being like, okay, one person who enjoys the hunting and somebody discounts it, like, okay, I don't care what you think. But the other side is like, okay, I'm going to show you, you know. And I feel like right. I'm the, I'm absolutely the competitive way. I'm going to lean more towards the, I'm going to show you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that also ties in, like I mentioned before, how I re- grew up reading about people off the grid and people surviving. And yeah. 
and people really testing themselves, you know, up in the Yukon with a team of dogs basically for, for companionship. And uh, one thing I noticed about hunting on private land is there's a lot of people. Uh, you're hunting way too comfortably. Yeah. You're, you're hunting in a box blind with a heater. You can sit in there in a bathrobe if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, really took a lot out of it for me. Right. Yeah, for sure. Is it? Uh, did you play sports growing up? I did. Yeah. What did you play? Wrestled, uh, football. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious about the competitive side of things because I'm curious for like, there's a part of me that wonders sometimes with the hunting side of things, did that like uh, replace that competitive spirit once high school sports were out of the picture? Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I did not complete high school playing sports because it actually got in the way of my outdoor activities. Yeah. But yeah, I, growing up, football and baseball were, were huge in my life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and of course, you want to be the best guy out there. That's the drive you have, mm-hmm. you know. Unfortunately, I'm not six foot four and 250 pounds to play linebacker. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but no, I was just curious about the competitiveness, the, that, that side of it. But so you you were hunting the the private land which is enjoyable right and like you said obviously a lot of work like anybody who says it's easy to do what you did okay like okay right knock yourself out let's see what happens right yeah uh but then you had that i'm going to show them mentality as well as the drive to again more of that live off the grid not live off the grid but be more resourceful or whatever it is yeah Uh, right or at least that was a component of it what age was that when you started getting into that public land side of things uh probably when I turned about 23 or 24 years old. Okay. Um, up until then, um, hunted primarily private. And initially, I just kind of dabbled in public land hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it to be really hard at first. And it was, it was, it really kind of knocked me back at first at how difficult it was. Hmm. Uh, it took a lot of work and it took hundreds of miles hiked. Yeah. It really, what I learned is that you can never hike and scout enough. Yeah. You don't have enough time in a day and enough days in a year to really get out and see what you should see, right. which is as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it eventually evolved into, you know, being full time and it's a full time all year type of type of gig. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hiking all the time, shed hunting um constantly scouting new areas I, i'm never i'm always looking at maps map study is is critical too so when the lights go off at night i'll turn on the lamp next to my bed and i'll, I'll study maps yeah um it just has to be that high of a of a thing in your life if you want to be successful at it because it's not easy yeah, especially uh i mean there's so many rabbit holes you can go on but especially the big woods whitetail Yes. Uh, where do you even know to begin on looking at maps, stuff like that, right? I mean, it takes a ton of it on the ground knowledge to even know what to look for on a map. That's right. Right. Um, it, it it really takes a lot of years of just school of hard knocks. Um, but eventually you do, do develop an eye for certain features and things to look for. And with map study... Uh, I've gotten to the point where I can look at a map for a few minutes and knock out 90% of the land hmm. just by looking at the map, right. ruling out that much land. Uh, from there, I'll circle key areas mm-hmm. and then boots on the ground. You got to get in there and see it then. Yeah. Because sometimes it's going to look even better than what it looks like on a map, and sometimes it's not going to pan out at all. Yeah. So. I, I have a, a lot of times when I'm doing these, like right now we're talking about that. I want to go deep down that whole yeah. thing, but I want to wait on that for a bit if you don't mind, because I'm getting curious about like what got you to the point. Because right now I feel like I'm just knocking on the door, just entering into the world of what like backpack whitetail hunting is. I haven't ever even done one night of it. We've been doing a lot of tracking, still hunting, trying to get into it and enjoying the heck out of it, right. but never done actually even a, a, a overnight whitetail hunt yet. Actually, we will be this fall and doing a spring overnight turkey slash shed hunt for that reason too right, but right. i feel like i'm just so like entry level just getting into it so there's a ton of technical questions i have but before i get into that and we can save some of it but more so yeah you got you dabbled in the public land about how do you get from there to where you're at now like what was that trajectory like well, it 
it's it's hard to explain it takes a lot yeah there's a lot of things that uh obviously you need to understand and figure out and uh really the best way for me to put it is the school of hard knocks will teach you but you have to be driven and and you know capable of accepting defeat at times Mm -hmm. because uh you may spend hours and hours and hours and days at times without even hardly seeing an animal right um you just have to keep at it uh as far as how that evolution took place i knew i had some areas that produce big white tails and it was just eating me up that i was not finding these animals so Hmm. What I've learned is tracking the deer themselves in the snow or whenever you're able to really shows you the areas that they use. Uh, a mature whitetail hunts differently than any other whitetail mm-hmm. out there. So really kind of keying in on those mature bucks and seeing their patterns, seeing where they go. And it gets to the point where you can actually learn individual animals at times. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah, but it just must be uh, like most people get into something like this, just a year by year evolution. Yeah, like for sure. Uh, and each year, wrapping up how hard you're into it, your knowledge base, your springtime activities, your fall activities, or what does that look like? I mean, was it like from year one of public land by year three, you're doing these overnights and you're doing this, or was it like a what did that? It it took it took a long time for that to evolve okay. to that point. Yeah. Um, the more I pushed in and the further I got, got in off the road, uh, the more I found that some of these areas were extremely good, but they're also extremely inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these hikes in take hours, yeah. hours and hours of time. Um, it's also, I hunt a lot of swampy areas. So uh, walking in and in and out of these places, it's, it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So over you know basically as i push myself over the years to find new areas some areas just are so remote and inaccessible that you have to look at other avenues to hunt these places you have to think outside the box Hmm. um another part of public hunting you have to outsmart other hunters as much as the deer right and sometimes that means just getting further in and and further away yeah uh and and now do you actually i keep calling it backpacking or overnighting are you doing some tenting and 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 you hiking and staying overnight some some very little of the actual sleeping in the woods so to speak but uh my days and and are very long Mm -hmm. i typically never come out of the woods during the daylight yeah um so it depends on the area um sometimes uh you know if you happen to shoot a deer, it takes 12 to 14 hours in some of these spots to get a deer out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're in the woods all night long. Yeah. And you, uh, again, is almost a point where maybe I'm getting too technical, but I, let's go down it. When you are getting it out, are you dragging it out whole? Are you, I mean, you're gutting it, dragging it out. Are you quartering it or what do you? The second I shoot a deer, um, f- when I do recover the animal, the very first step I do is take a couple pictures. Yeah. Because those are the only pictures I'll have of a whole deer. Because the second I put my phone away or camera away, I'm immediately caping the animal out. Mm -hmm. I skin them on the ground. Uh, I get the stakes off first. I bag them up. And then from there, I quarter the animal out. Mm -hmm. The last step is the caping of the the head and neck. And uh, when I do that, I obviously take off the neck roast and everything like that. And I bag up everything and mm-hmm. just start packing it out one, you know, usually it's about three trips. Yeah. You know, hindquarters are heavy. Um, obviously, it's not an elk, so you can haul two, but two whitetail hindquarters in a, in a pack is pretty heavy. Yeah. So that's one trip. And then the second trip would be steaks and front quarters. And usually the last pack out is the head and the cape. Mm-hmm. which actually has a lot of weight to it as well. And then from there, you can take your weapon out with you yeah. on that last pack. Um, by the time you get to the truck on that last pack, you are done. Yeah, it, That's it for a few days. It really wears you down. Right. It's, uh, yeah, for sure. 
Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Yeah, just thinking about the overnight side of things too. Again, I told you we haven't really done much of it. We have this draw and it's more of like the adventure of it, right? Like yeah. it, it seems like there's this thing, I guess I'm curious to get your insight on this. We're, again, we're going on this hike. My brother and I plan on doing this turkey hunt where we'll plan on deer hunting there this fall, but it's X amount of miles, pretty long ways where we're going to turkey hunt, shed hunt, try to get us, you know, the, basically as soon as the snow is melting, get a feel for what the, the last year's rubs, the scrapes, maybe find some sheds, stuff like that. Um, but when we go hunting there this fall, planning on camping in there do a couple overnights uh stuff like that it feels like the overnights is almost just uh semantics or like uh, for the adventure of it whereas if you could just as effectively or maybe more effectively just hike in and hike out do you agree with that or is there a scenario where staying overnight is beneficial uh i agree with it to some extent uh it i guess it depends on the area yeah you know if it takes less than two hours to get into a spot yes then it's it's you're you're doing it for the adventure part of it yeah if you're going you know three hours deep Mm -hmm. one direction that's when things change you know do you want to walk that three hours out after you just sat all day and then turn around and wake up at two in the morning and do it all over again right um with almost no sleep and all that hiking and walking yeah after a few days of that you wear down really fast yeah yeah that is true the few i mean again i've done a little bit of backpack hunting out west and it was unbelievable the difference in like normally we're staying in a house we drive a ways to a place hike in anywhere from you know half a mile to mile and a half but up terrain or whatever else and sometimes more a couple miles but either way uh you know hunt your whole day hike back out drive back you know it's uh if you if you get back you wash up you eat you shower you get your stuff ready for the next day go to bed instantly you get maybe six and a half seven hours of sleep or something like that yeah whereas camping out there you eliminated the hike in you eliminate the hike out uh you're you know you you get done glassing for the evening and all of a sudden you're like hey if i go to bed right now i've got 13 hours of sleep you know yeah uh it was way more relaxing you're almost more effective because you're in there uh but yeah so i could see that where it could be uh more of like a long-term preservation kind of thing for sure um during the rut if i'm walking in and out by about day four um the days are getting pretty long yeah you know all the all the hiking and all the you know carrying a pack around it's not like you're walking on the street you got you know 30 to 40 pounds on your back Mm -hmm. and carrying a weapon right so so, uh it's not easy you know when you string days of it you know together consecutively yeah so yeah yeah and obviously you've got like home dynamics like do you want to be home at night for your family sure Stuff like that too right uh as well as the fact of the overnights takes i mean you're hiking in with a lot more weight that one time but also just takes a lot more logistics and food mm-hmm. preparation and stuff like that um but yeah, we just want to get into it for almost the adventure of it, but also thinking again, that same thing of, Hey, you get in there four or five, six miles, you're going to be away from basically everybody. Um, at least at this point, maybe that'll change eventually. I don't know. You hear about it out West where guys could get far in there and be away from everybody, but now that's not the case. Like there's nowhere that you can't get to out West. Yeah. Some areas allow ATV use. Sure. Some areas allow mules and horses. They yeah. have an upper hand to someone on foot, right? By a lot, yeah. So if you have areas like that, you know, it's, you, your work's cut out for you because it, you you're probably always going to have company at at some level, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Did you? Uh, I, I'm curious if you could eventually get into a story, like if you had a your your favorite, your epitome moment. But I'm curious if uh, 
to what I guess maybe you could tie into it. When did you start seeing a change? Like all of a sudden, wow, this is actually on top of it being another challenge. It's actually a, a, a fruitful endeavor. I started stringing them together a few years back where uh, it seemed like everything was going my way. Yeah. Uh, it really hasn't stopped, but a lot of work. I mean, there's so much work that goes into that moment where you let the arrow fly. Mm-hmm. And it takes a whole year and years stacked on top of each other of knowledge and, you know, gained just from being out and studying and everything else. But uh, really, I think my my best moment where the light bulb really came off is I went back-to-back sits uh, with 170-inch-plus deer on the ground back-to-back days. Um, Now, they weren't you know it wasn't like a monday and a tuesday type of thing it actually was the final day that i sat rifle hunting one year mm-hmm. uh and then the following year the very first day out and it was early it was in september and i, I shot another 170 inch deer hmm. um within the first half hour of light and that's when i really felt like i'm, I'm starting to get a hang of this yeah uh and 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 both those were on the ground that you were or you in a tree stand? I was in a, a tree stand. Yeah. Okay. I I uh, typically, you know, a lot of guys like a lot of different uh, tree stand methods. I still am a traditional guy that likes a lock on style stand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people use climbers or saddles are a big thing now, but I I sit in a in a traditional lock on stand. I use lone wolf sticks, and uh, you know, get up the tree that way. Yeah. And you said when you can track, you will, but outside of good tracking conditions, you'll typically sit. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I love to track. Uh, I wish we got a little bit more snow in my area because when there's snow and there's fresh snow, I'll take off a of work to go. Yeah. I mean, I will not miss that. Uh, this year, opening day of gun season, it was snowing. Uh, it's snowing pretty hard. And there wasn't a lot of movement it was it was windy it was midday and i got down i I started tracking um i didn't go a quarter mile and i cut a nice mature buck track and i actually tracked that deer right to his bed i Hmm. spotted him i could see him laying there about 130 inch 10 pointer or so Mm -hmm. mid 120s maybe 130 but uh you know anybody can do it it's the sky's the limit you know when it comes to being off the grid and you know out in the woods Right. You, uh, you bring binoculars with you? I do. Yeah. They don't come out often. Okay. So like there, when you're looking at that 130 inch buck, do you have a scope up in your, in your check? Yes. Out that was rifle season. I, I actually looked at him through a rifle scope. Okay. I got to within about 50 yards of it. Um, could see him plain as day. Yeah. I mean, he stuck out. Um, so yeah, I got a good look at him that way. Uh, he had a little split G2 on mm-hmm. one side. I mean, I got a pretty good look at him. Yeah. And you let him go. Let him go. Yeah. Uh, just cause you're going for that next level. Yeah. I'm, I try to shoot for 150 and up. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything above 150 is going to be a pretty nice deer. Uh, obviously the higher that number is the better, but mm-hmm. 150 is about where I draw the line. Yeah. Do you have a, again, I'm thinking of a culmination of like your favorite buck or your, the one that you had to work the hardest for, or the one that brought the biggest challenge. Can you, can you get into a story? I'm curious, like in, in, in through the story, like things you learned or how it went, or, or did you have some history with this buck, stuff like that? Sure. Um, actually the brought him up earlier, uh, buck I shot in September, uh, early season, which it's, it's not easy to pattern a, a big deer early in the year. It can be done, though. It's usually food-orientated. Uh, but I had some trail cameras out, and when I checked them, I was getting pretty consistent activity in one area. And I didn't really understand why at the time. Uh, but I went on a whim and sat that, sat that area. And as soon as I got in there, I realized why. The acorns are just raining. You know, you could use an umbrella. Hmm. Uh, the acorns are coming down so hard. And as soon as it got light out, uh, first off, back up a little bit. It's a long walk in there, a couple hours. Sweat, you know, it was it was a lot of work. It's warmer that time of year. I had entirely too much clothes on. 
Um, so by the time I got to my stand, I hung my stand up and I was wringing wet with sweat and tired and I closed my eyes for what felt like a minute and it might've been five minutes. And when I opened my eyes, a deer was 30 yards in front of me. Um, I did not see his antlers at first, but I knew it was a shooter. The second I saw the animal, he just, he looked huge, hmm. big body. Uh, when he picked up his head, then I, I knew uh, right away that it was a good deer. And he ended up, I ended up watching for about 25 minutes. And uh, at one point he just stopped and turned and walked right at the tree. And I shot him at 11 yards, huh. saw him tip over. Um, that deer aged out at seven and a half. A uh, couple mass measurements over six, really strong mass, just a good deer. Yeah. You know, uh, that was probably my probably my favorite deer overall. Mm-hmm. Just because it's kind of a low percentage time of year, right? And everything just kind of added up. You know, trail cameras and uh, using, you know, that basically trail cameras really helped me in that instance. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, you know, just getting out there when most people would not hike three miles in on 70 degree day. Right. Right. So what about, uh, on the tracking side of things, you've taken a couple tracking as well. Yep. What about there too? Any stories there that that took, that actually is something that took me years to develop. Uh, it was, I don't know if I've ever had a type of hunting that's been more challenging than tracking, but when I did start to put deer on the ground doing it, it's become easier for me. Okay. There, there's a lot of tricks involved in tracking. Um, one thing I can tell you is a mature buck is an incredibly smart animal. Mm-hmm. You see how they use the terrain. And one thing that they'll do uh, before they bed down, they have a particular way of going about basically trying to circle around so that they face their own trail mm-hmm. the reason they do that if a coyote or a wolf is trailing them they they can smell that animal and take off so there's a, a you know basically just studying the tracks you'll be able to tell when that deer's about ready to bed down they'll start to you know weave in and out and not take straight lines um, you'll see their tracks a lot closer together mm-hmm. it's because they're stopping they're really checking the terrain and if you can look up ahead and see where they start to make that button hook, usually at that point you stop, you back up about 50 yards, cut over about 50 yards to 100 yards, and then slowly still hunt your way in. Hmm. A lot of times you'll find them. Yeah. You'll actually see them laying there. Right. And have you had some success doing that? Yeah. yeah. I've I've killed a few deer doing that uh, right up to about uh, – I think my, my biggest one tracking was 144 inches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm curious for you again, the, like, I, I kind of want to lay out where I'm at and see if you had a similar trajectory and then where the next steps are, where you can grow from here again. Cause if you're obviously light years ahead of where I'm at, but so I started off four years ago, four falls ago, just saying, Hey, I'm going to hunt on the ground. I'm going to figure it out and, and a little bit of bow, but rifle to whatever else. Right. Uh, first year i feel like all i seen was tails i mean just scared everything didn't see anything occasionally would find a few next year i started seeing a little bit more deer before they seen me uh and, and getting a lot learning a little bit slower and i'd take out my binox glass them up before they seen me or whatever uh the third year which had been two years ago i ended up shooting a small buck but first buck on the ground first mm-hmm. buck not on bait in the up which is super exciting for me uh, but just seeing way more deer, way more bucks, uh, had a big, nice mature buck opening day, a rifle, but just couldn't get a shot at it. Uh, felt like a significant improvement. This fourth year was similar, uh, battled a little bit of, uh, pressure on the public land. And that's somewhat of that, that, uh, push to get further back in there too, is just to get mm-hmm. away from people, stuff like that. But feeling like I'm way better at seeing deer before they see me. I feel like I've got a lot of work to do on the tracking side of things. Cause it just feels like you, your patience just isn't there or me. Like, like when I'm work, walking that track, I'm not going, although listen, a lot of these guys, they say if that, if that deer's going quick, you can go quick, whatever else. Right. But either yes. way, stuff like that, I'm knowing like once it's meandering, stop, look this way, that I feel like my patience isn't there. Uh, also probably setting up a lot of my days where I've got, Hey, I've got four hours going to be back. And then you start making choices that don't correlate with what you should be doing because you got to be back to the truck in two and a half hours or whatever it might be. But anyways, I feel like I'm just like, again, 
much better at seeing deer before they see me still learning a lot still growing a lot haven't got a mature buck through it but feel like i'm just knocking on the door of it did you have that similar trajectory and then what what was it like once you got beyond that uh yeah i would say that's similar to how it was for me as well about the same amount of time um initially i would just cut a track and go yeah um i was jumping a lot of does i was not even understanding the difference between a buck and a doe track um so i I was wasting a lot of time Uh, and i also was seeing a lot of tails as well uh obviously uh that's not what you want you don't want to waste hours or half a day just to see a tail go up in front of you Mm -hmm. Uh, it took me a while to dial that in uh really one of the biggest steps for me was understanding what a what a mature buck track looks like compared to another deer's track yeah so i'm not wasting time uh one thing i'll tell you is you don't want to have a four-hour day tracking it's an all-day type of hunt right just right. because it may take two or three hours just to find the right track mm-hmm. some days you might not even find that right track you could spend that half a day or a day looking for that track and not find it mm-hmm. um but once you do cut that track uh a lot of times in the beginning, I would actually move on too slow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when you really want to make up a lot of ground. And then there's times where you want to almost move where you're hardly taking a step every minute where you're getting to the phase of trying to glass that deer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, most deer are shot when they get up and, and bust. Uh, but really, ideally, you want to get as close as possible to that animal. And the closer you get, the better your chances are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when you're getting close like that, will you You said you try not to take your binoculars out too much. But when you are in that mode where you're still hunting and trying to pick things apart, are you then taking your binoculars out? And Then the glasses are my eyes. Okay. Yeah. Then the glasses come out for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, up until that point the binoculars are in my pocket yeah but when it gets to that moment when i'm to that phase of it it's still hunting but you're almost hardly even moving at that point you glass everything you take a step or two and you're glassing everything all over again Mm -hmm. just because the angles and perception and everything changes even with a couple steps and you're looking for the smallest of clues it could be a an ear or an antler or a tail or just the outline of a back that doesn't fit in, you know, because a deer's camouflage is actually pretty good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have you read a lot of these guys, like the, I don't know how you pronounce their last name, but White Brothers or Hal Blood or these guys? Mm-hmm. That have you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're blessed to live in an area where deer are in their feet all day long. Yeah. Why is that? Certain areas. I've, I've hunted in Canada before and if you're going to shoot a deer and stand up there, it's going to be noon. Huh. They're just browse deer. There's no egg. There's no agriculture. Um, those deer are just on their feet all day long. And it's just a lot different from the deer I hunt, which are typically bedded during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a different world. Have you, have you hunted out West at all? I, the furthest West I've hunted is North Dakota, uh, Kansas. And all whitetail. Uh, North Dakota was all birds. Okay. Uh, Kansas was whitetail. I gotcha. Um, you get to the point there and it's such a different world, right? But you glass a lot out there and you learn so much about their behavior because you just watch them all You're day, watching. all summer. You can yep. watch them all fall. You can watch them. You get to the point where not all the time, but so frequently you can watch them and similar to you with a track, which is way different, right? But you get to the point where you're like, okay, he's going to go here. He's probably going to bed. He's going to turn around, whatever. I mean, not, not quite to that degree, but you get to the point where you're so you have so much data to pull from, right? And I guess that goes back to you with tracking too, but you get to watch them so much, you can pick apart what are they gonna do, where are they gonna go, and you get really reliable at it. Whereas here, it feels like you could still hunt and track for 20 years and 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 not have that much data unless you're just in it hardcore like you are, right? The the area you hunted up, you know, up here, it's very heavily wooded. Yeah. This is thick ground. This would be this would be hard yeah. around here. Um you know, because you could get close and that, you know, it's so thick. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it, the more you do it, the 
the better off you you will be, you know, just time spent doing it. Right. Every single track teaches you something else. Um, one thing I have learned from tracking is it actually changes the way I, I, you know, will hunt in a tree sand as well. You can actually see how a mature deer just uses terrain. Hmm. Um, it was kind of eye-opening to me how well they can hide where you know does and fawns young bucks they'll just kind of wander around wherever where a mature buck is very methodical Mm -hmm. not a lot of wasted steps but along the way they're always managing to find a way to use a terrain or vegetation to hide Mm -hmm. Um, really change the way I, i hunt for them you know out of a tree stand as well yeah. In what ways? Uh, and again, is it a, a gut thing or an intuition thing? Or are you actually looking for a specific thing when you're setting up your stands in these different places? Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the spots I do hunt out of a tree stand I've tracked before. Okay. Um, there's something that I call, I don't know what the term would even be. I call them a cruising trail where one thing I've noticed about mature deer, they do not use deer trails. Okay. I think, uh, you could pick any private woods, and walk through it and you'll see the stands and they're going to be hanging up over the major deer trails mm-hmm. that is not where i'd sit hmm. uh mature deer will cross cut those trails they take them at a perpendicular angle mm-hmm. they'll check them uh one thing about a, a mature white-tailed buck they're they're kind of an isolated animal they're almost like a hermit in the deer world mm-hmm. but they keep track of every single deer out there they're always keeping track of what other deer are in the woods. Um, it's been proven that they can actually single out individual deer by the smell, the interdigital gland in the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I look for cruising trails, and really the best way to find them is by seeing them, by seeing them in, in action, because there's they're not used heavily enough to really put a path in the ground. But one thing I've noticed is that they'll use a terrain, a, a very specific and predictable way hmm. and if you can see it in action uh, some of my best spots are actually just what i've watched uh from ruddied animals you mm-hmm. know pre-rut will really show you a lot those cruising trails are really only in use for about three weeks of, of the year mm-hmm. but when those are in action that's where your tree sand needs to be yeah and that's like uh late october or when is that yeah late october and okay. just watching deer in a stand um anytime you see a mature deer usually the first instinct is just to be in awe of it and yeah. just to take it in but really uh the questions you need to ask yourself is why is he here where is he coming from mm-hmm. why is he going in this direction what is he doing right. why is he on his feet at this hour at this time with this with this wind direction and this temperature uh you need to take those notes and over the course of time those notes will will show a pattern mm-hmm. um but yeah, in, in that in that rut time of the year, I, I want to be on what I call cruising trails. And it's basically the shortest distance from point A to point B to cut as many deer trails as possible. And usually they use it in a way to stay hidden at the same time. And when you put it, piece it all together, it all makes sense. Huh. It took a lot of years to really understand exactly what they're doing. But really what they're doing is they're just keeping tabs on everything. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of that in my life. Is that something that these guys, the Hal Bloods and the Bonoites and stuff have talked about, or is that something you've put together? Or? I think that's just something I kind of put together in my own mind, I guess. Yeah. Um, as far as the guys out east, um, their style of tracking is to cut a big mature deer track and just and pound on that track for days. Yeah. Uh, they they might stay on that deer for a day or two. What you don't see in that video is the three miles it, it took for them to find that deer. Mm-hmm. Those deer are a lot different animal than what I'm conditioned to hunting, where if you take, uh, for example, a deer in Maine, he might walk three miles in a, in the day, in the broad daylight, mm-hmm. where back home they're they're bedded. Yeah. It's all night movement. Right. Outside of the rut, so yeah. to speak. Is it is it hunting pressure or wolves or something that makes them nocturnal or around here versus there, do you think? Or is it just a different... Yeah. What I notice around our area is baiting, especially, you know, up in UP yeah. or northern Wisconsin, 
people that bait, what they're doing is they're altering the deer's natural movement. Mm-hmm. That deer is actually, if you take bait out of the equation, it's probably going to be easier for for you to hunt. Right. Because they have to be on their feet and they have to browse and they have to cover miles to keep their stomachs full. But when you flop 100 pounds of corn on the ground, they make that trip, they eat, and they go bed down. Um, I would be willing to bet if you hunted 100 years ago right here and you hunted today, you see a totally different type of deer movement. Hmm. And I actually think a lot of it has to do with food. Yeah. Just the easy availability of food. People are baiting food plots, that sort of thing, where traditionally those deer had to just live in the woods. I prefer a browse deer any day over a deer centered around baiting or a food plot. Yeah. I wonder... I wonder if you could almost find little pockets like right now where you're at or where I'm at. If you're getting four or five miles in, you're not competing with somebody who's baiting. Right. Those deer aren't living off of bait. Would those deer be more likely to be active in the day than the one that is in the baited area? For sure. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, you know, Minnesota, but a big part of Wisconsin, uh, baiting has been made illegal in a lot of counties. Yeah. So, Although it's illegal, I'm sure a lot of guys are still doing it. Sure. Uh, if they can get away with it, I'm sure they still do it. But it's been cut back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. CWD, you know, chronic wasting disease. When that took place, the, the the DNR basically said no baiting in any county where CWD is found. Well, over time, CWD has spread and more and more counties are bait free. Mm-hmm. In those you know, in areas like that, you will see deer move in the day, daylight a lot more. Yeah. You know, there's still plenty of agriculture and stuff in areas too, though, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Again, that's a world that I'm, I talk about here. The start of this podcast was for my passion for mule deer hunting out west, but this has been right along with it. Like to get back into it up here. My, my last season, I hunted up here before I lived out west. I hunted all fall. Uh, I baited, right? And mm-hmm. I, I sat like 30 to 40 times, seen one deer in daylight. Everything else was at night. I had mature bucks coming in all at night. Same deal, just like you said, right? Yeah. And that was the end of it. And then I hunted out west and learned how mobile you can be and how much you can actually learn about deer hunting. I'm like, man, I need to bring that back here. Not like I can actually replicate exactly what's out west, but just I'll be a way better hunter long term if I can just hunt on the ground, still hunt, track, whatever else. Uh, I agree. I, I I'm conflicted about that, the answer of bait, obviously, like, I feel like it's a traditional use that people should be able to do if they want to. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. I think you're a better hunter and I think it makes a deer more natural if they're not being baited. Yeah. If you, if you take bait out of the equation, really what bait is, is a crutch. It's, it's something to help you, uh, make hunting easier. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the people that do bait, you know, in a, as a primary way of hunting, they're not learning anything about that other about that animal whatsoever, other than where it's going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're missing out on so much when it comes to learning that animal when you're simply sitting over a spot where it wants to go eat right. and forcing forcing them to come to you instead of you going to find them in their own environment and where they want to be. Yeah. It, it takes all that away from you as a hunter. It doesn't sharpen your tools. Mm-hmm. I'm not against it either. Um, I feel like people shouldn't be able to hunt however they want to hunt, and it's not for me to say anything about it. Um, but that said, for, it's not for me. Right. Like, baiting is just not something I'm real interested in. Mm-hmm. You know. What about you? We, we kind of hinted at earlier on the, on the mapping side of things. You said you get to the point where you can eliminate pretty quick 90% of an area or really key in on these things. What are you, can you get into some of that or without being detrimental to your own, uh, hunting pursuits? Yeah. Um, first off, topo maps are really what I key in on. Okay. Uh, changes in elevation deer navigate a certain way. Um, and the degree of that change, you know, obviously for hunting in the mountains, you have a topo map that looks like a bowl of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's harder f- to read those, but even in flatter areas where the change of elevation might only be a few feet, I still key in on areas where elevation changes. Um, 
another thing I like to look for on a map is how remote it is, mm-hmm. how close to roads um, is a particular spot. If a road is, you know, say a quarter mile away, for me, it doesn't matter how good it looks. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to have hunting pressure. Yeah. And uh, so I rule out roads and I rule out uh, just lifeless elevation. You know, if, it, if you have big flat areas, to me, it's not interesting and it's hard for me to pinpoint where they're going to be. You know, if you have a 400 acre flat hardwoods, that deer can literally walk wherever he wants. It gets hard to get a deer in bow range. Mm-hmm. But if you have a hill in the middle of that, um, for example, they'll, they'll use that hill in a certain way. Hmm. Uh, so elevation is something I key in on. And then also obviously pin, uh, pinch points. Uh, when I flip through maps, I look at the vegetation, the woods the layout of the, of the ground. And you can see, uh, you know, for example, if two bodies of water are close, that central part of that body, you know, in between the bodies of water is going to be a a route they're going to want to take it's a pinch point mm-hmm. so there's there's a number of, of things i look for and i just kind of mix them all together uh when i take a map out i just i usually just take a a red pen and circle a couple spots that look promising yeah so and you talked about hiking year round and you're going in there you're doing like spring shed hunting and stuff like that or what do you what yeah do you, shed okay. hunting um in general shed hunting for me is just a reason to be out yeah um uh, but you know it's enjoyable when I find a shed. But the real uh, thing I'm there for is to see all that old rut sign, mm-hmm. because before everything starts to grow and everything turns green, the woods right now are bare, and you can really see where those deer have been moving mm-hmm. um, from the fall on. You can see all that rut sign. You can see scrapes that are still left over if the leaves haven't blown over them. Uh, it's just a good time of year to be out. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, there's something about it though. There's like a mystery too with it for me. Again, the, I don't know, just the big woods side of it. Like, like you said that you get into as well. Uh, is there like a, for you too, is there like a, yeah, there must be right. A mystery to you for you too. But like, do you, do you like romanticize it? Are you on an adventure? Are you an explorer? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I, some of that i i think the main thing i like about it is just ultimate freedom yeah if i want to move a mile away i can get up and go a mile away mm-hmm. now no knock against private land but say you own 80 acres you're condensed to those 80 acres you could sit on that 80 acres and see deer on your neighbor's land and not have the opportunity to even pursue that animal where if i want to pick up and go i just pick up and go mm-hmm. um I like the freedom of it. Yeah. And what about too, on the kids side of things, you said you bring your own kids out. You really like to bring kids into it. What, yes. Uh, obviously bringing your own kids and stuff into it is, is super enjoyable, but what for, not what for, but wh- I guess, yeah. Can you get into that? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just know how enjoyable hunting was for me growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids obviously are in the same kind of, spot in your life where they want to be like dad i think every boy growing up looks at their dad as a role model um you know i i can see a lot of interest in them and i usually try to get them to test the limits a little bit but i always try to put them in high percentage type of hunts type of spots for them i do take them on private land quite a bit mm-hmm. um because i want a high percentage hunt for them that doesn't necessarily mean uh you know punching a tag but i want them to see animals i want to you know enjoy the hunt and not sit in empty woods for three days and not see a deer Mm -hmm. so uh you know there there's uh a lot of enjoyment in this getting a kid hunting though uh one of the best things i actually think for for taking kids and getting involved is turkey hunting yeah turkey hunting it's a high percentage hunt it's a really exciting hunt the birds are strutting they're gobbling it's like a poor man's elk hunt Mm -hmm. for a kid the excitement levels off the chain so that's a really good way to get kids out yeah no it's uh too even again talking about hunting out west i've gone with a lot of guys there where it's their first mule deer hunt ever uh and to see their excitement 
you get to like live through them in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, cause you don't, you'll never get that back. You'll never get your first whitetail hunt back. You'll never get your first turkey hunt back, but bringing kids out too, on top of your own kids, whatever, growing the sport, all that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, you get to relive those, those experiences in a way. For sure. Um, my kids have actually impressed me. Um, I would say that they might even be further ahead than I was at their age. Yeah. Um, my my son who's eleven, he uh, when he was ten, he shot a Boone and Crockett bear. Um, my oldest son who's thirteen, he shot a bear when he was ten. Uh, they've all shot bucks, some decent ones, uh, turkeys. So they're they're kind of stringing it along the last few years. And then my uh, I have four sons. My two youngest one and my two youngest boys come everywhere. They mm-hmm. love shed hunting uh, and. Uh, my boy last year he's seven now but when he was six he he shot a turkey um so yeah in just seeing their excitement it's it's fantastic to get out there and see them and how excited they get yeah yeah it's uh I don't know. The whole world is just the whole world of it is is super interesting for sure. Do you still get into your own turkey hunts and stuff like that too? A little bit. Uh, I mainly focus on taking kids now. Okay. Um, I'm this year. It looks like anywhere from it might be as many as seven, six for sure. I'll be taking this year. Mm-hmm. Um, took five last year. They all got birds. Yeah. So, what about uh, bear hunting? Do you have you ever tried the? Uh, like steel hunt or, or backpack hunt bear no i have not not, not yeah. for for bear uh for bear that's a much different type of hunting style yeah uh for them you don't have to get so far in normally mm-hmm. um so uh, no i have this inclination to go try it and i know that it would be anti-effective to do it right or it yeah. feels like it would be uh but the last no, no not this last year the the previous two rifle seasons i seen a bear while out rifle hunting and it could have shot the bears both times i thought man that'd be interesting what if you could hike and sh- and shoot a bear on the ground uh statistically it's got to be so low though like if you were going out trying to find a bear just hiking around it's got to be, be so low it'd be hard in the midwest but if you go out west yeah there's a lot of guys that hunt montana and wyoming idaho you know a lot of those mountain states colorado's another state where they do spot and stalk black bear hunting and mm-hmm. they're up in the mountains doing it yeah. Um, one of the problems about bear hunting in Wisconsin or Minnesota, or it, you know, it's it's the temperature. So if you get if you shoot an animal that weighs four hundred pounds, you have to get that meat on ice fairly quick. Yeah. You have to get them out of the woods. That's a big animal. So you don't want to be, you know, three miles in when it's seventy five degrees. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to make use of all that and not let anything spoil. It's just such a big animal. Yeah. So. Right. I, I'm curious uh, where then, like, do you have uh, 20 years from now, what, will you still be tracking, still hunting big whitetails, or do you have a next step, or do you have somewhere you're taking it, or do you have any thoughts there? I <laughs> I, I guess I've thought about the retirement plan a bit, because I am 41. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like my clock is ticking on being able to do the physical things that I am currently doing. Mm-hmm. Um because it is a very physically demanding style of hunting, I would say I have about 10 years max left. Mm-hmm. My my hope is that my sons grow up fast enough so I can show them some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, from there, I'll probably still hunt public, but I'm just not going to go so extreme. I'm not going to get so far in. I'm going to yeah. try to you know, keep it a little closer. But until then, I'm going to try to keep the pedal to the metal for a while and and get as many years out of it as I can. Yeah. So. No, it's uh, fun to hear about. Do you have anything else that we didn't cover that we should have covered? Otherwise, I've got one last question. No, no. I th- For you. No, feel pretty good about where we're at, so. Yeah. I, I guess, again, too, thinking about the story side of things, do you have something like uh, even, I don't know, as far as like, uh, you know, big struggle moments overcoming them finding the deer not finding the deer or just favorite hunts stuff like that again you talked about that a little bit earlier but do you have any any other stories that come to mind as far as uh you know hard lessons learned or or things like that i've yeah uh if i were to sit and tell you struggle stories i could be here for three days (laughs) um there have been some awful struggles uh one involved uh, a deer i shot with a gun and it was one degree uh, 
frigid cold. I was a long ways off the road. I did not have enough uh, flashlight power in my pocket to really be where I was. And I had to make a decision, do I try to quarter this animal out and potentially freeze my hands off or do I try to drag them? And it was an all night drag and it was just misery. Hmm. I got back to the truck. It was, I shot the deer at 4.15 in the afternoon. So it's getting pretty close to dark. And I got to the truck. It was about two in the morning. Wow. Um, I also had another one where at first I decided I was going to drag a deer. Uh, that wasn't going well. So I decided to quarter the deer up. Um, I had a cart. I went and got the cart in as far as I could, uh, and I packed all the meat to the cart. And it seemed like a brilliant idea. Uh, I put all my gear, all the meat, everything on the cart. Well, the cart's rated for 200 pounds or 250 pounds. So I took my tree stand down. I put all my gear on the cart as well. I rolled the cart about 100 yards, and the wheel just broke right off the <laughs> cart. And there I am in the middle of the woods. It's 9.30 at night. By the time I started rolling this cart, through the woods i still had a good solid mile to go now i have all this stuff sitting there in a pile and i'm already worn out it's cold and now i have to figure out how i'm going to get all this stuff out Mm -hmm. i I made the job way bigger than it had to be thinking i was making it easier i made it a lot harder and it turned into a nightmare uh that particular night i got back to the truck it was like 3 30 in the morning yeah it was an all-nighter and it was it was rough (laughs) That time I drove a few miles into town and uh, I didn't even want a chance driving the truck back home. I actually slept in the truck on the side of the road for a couple hours. I was just physically just yeah. bent. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I could go on about these all day. Right. I mean, but yeah, there's been a lot of stories like that. Yeah. Um, Any funny moments? stumble upon somebody way back there or something like that or yeah one of the better deer i've ever shot a guy actually walked underneath me is the only guy i've ever seen um in that area he actually walked right underneath me waved to me said hi and i thought man my hunt is done yeah and i was actually still watching him i could still see his oranges rifle season and i heard a grunt and a bunch of crashing and a 170-inch buck was running up the hill chasing a doe. And if the guy would have been three minutes later, he'd have probably shot him walking in. Yeah. But I'm sure he heard the rifle shot and, and wondered what was that, mm-hmm. you know, because he just walked through there and then, like, shot the deer right. right behind him. He probably thought you were angry or something, just shooting the ground. Yeah. Just, uh... <laughs> yeah, he seemed pretty friendly. You know, yeah. we waved and said hi. Yeah. It wasn't five minutes later, I shot a deer. Yeah. Um, just goes to show you sometimes you don't gotta you gotta keep your hopes up yeah you you don't want to ever be anytime you're in the woods you gotta keep the thought in your mind that something good can happen at any second yeah you can't let your guard down Uh, as, as far as funny stories um i took my son who's 11 now out deer hunting for the first time and he was six we no more than got in a stand he said dad there's a buck and I asked him where it was, and he pointed, and it was a tree, and it had to be a half mile away. It was a like a full-grown oak tree. Hmm. It was just so far away. It looked like, like a deer to him. Yeah. And uh, so I told him, no, that's a tree. And he goes, no, there's another deer. And it was a bush. And he did this nonstop for about 10 minutes where he was just pointing out rocks and vegetation, anything that, you know, had a shape to it whatsoever, he thought it was a deer. Uh, and then it got to the point where I just started ignoring him. Right. And he said, Dad, there's a buck. And it was like the 15th time I heard it in 10 minutes. And uh, I didn't pay any attention to him. And all of a sudden he goes, it's right there. And he stood up and he pointed. And there was a, there was a nice eight-pointer standing <laughs> 15 yards away from us just standing there. So uh, that went, I don't know how the deer didn't spook. It might have been the dumbest deer I've ever seen because there was a boy talking out loud pointing at him. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he ended up shooting the deer. Yeah, but that was that was one of my favorite hunts, you know, as as a whole. It, it everything worked out well, but it's just kind of funny looking back <laughs> on just how ridiculous it was. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh man, no, it's fun to hear about, and uh, I guess I'll be following along. I want to stay in touch to hear how you do in these upcoming years and stuff like that, and I'll be picking your brain too. Again, it's I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface of the whole picture, but it's fun to get into. I enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah. 
you'll never you'll never learn it all there's no way but it, the more you know the better any hunter would be you know uh but one thing about deer as much as you see them there's a lot of things about deer that are a mystery even to the to the best hunters out there yeah they uh they have their their own way about life that they're pretty secretive so mm-hmm. yeah well no charlie i appreciate you coming up here having the chat it's fun to hear about yeah well thanks appreciate it yeah hey guys thank you for listening today i hope you enjoyed it if you have and you feel so inclined share this podcast with your friends subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review until next time thank you <laughs>